on Rewind, a look back at the first season of 12 Monkeys. The series expanded on the popular Terry Gilliam movie with Bruce Willis, with new characters and various timelines. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. And 12 Monkeys certainly did that, using time travel as a vehicle to do so. Now on Rewind, 12 Monkeys. If you like sci-fi, you probably have seen the successful Terry Gilliam Bruce Willis film from 1996, but this is actually its own version. Here they have an opportunity to world build using the film as a basis. And from the roundtables at New York Comic Con are first, two of the co-executive producers, Travis Fickett, who's worked on Terra Nova and the recent Nikita, and Terry Metalis, who joined them after also working on those two shows. The, you know, the original movie is, is one of my favorites of all time. So I, how, did, how did you guys approach this? Uh, I mean, you could either do what they were doing or kind of do your own thing. From what I heard, you're kind of doing your own thing and using that as kind of like the springboard a little. Yep. Um, That's exactly right. When we, we sat down with Atlas, we made the original film. They they had been trying to turn it into a TV series for a long time. And we our initial instinct was don't do it because we were huge fans of the movie. Um, and then when we started to really dig into it and, and go back and read David and Janet Peoples' original script and really look at more the thriller aspect of this, of what is really a whodunit, this conspiracy, we're like, there is there is a way to do this as, as, a, as a serialized, gritty time travel show um, that's very different from the movie in the ways that it's not the Terry Gilliam... Um, you know, sort of dissertation on. Uh, I mean, you can't do the movie again. There's just, you, there's no way, and it's a, it's a finite story. It's closed off, closed ended, and there's just, it, it, you even if we remade that into the pilot, we'd have nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, so we had to open up that story and that world and, and tell it in a, in a different way, and we made some key changes to the mythology and the characters, and and we get to spend a lot in the in the movie that you don't really spend a lot of time in that future, and yeah. in this series you will. We really open up the post-apocalypse and see, and really actually dig into the, the the story of our main character Cole. In the movie, he's sort of plucked out of this prison, and you're not really sure why he's there. Um, and while we have a similar setup here, uh, his backstory and his arc uh, is pivotal to the redemption story that we're trying to tell in the series. There's more of my look at Twelve Monkeys on Rewind, so stay tuned. Could this be a no-win scenario so not to alienate the fans of the original movie and also decide what you keep and what you leave out? You, you keep what works for the story. I oh, mean, right. you know, once we started uh, turning this into a TV ser a series, we had to say what makes story, what makes these characters somebody that you want to tune in each week to see. And that's really the guide. I mean, there's not uh, a formula that you can sit down and say, you know, I don't want to take this. There's stuff that we loved about the movie. One of the coolest things about the movie is that you can't change time. That he you're, he's only going back to observe. Right. And that's a great bit of mythology, and it's one of my favorite bits in time travel well, you fiction. you can't do it in a long-running television, time travel serialized show. I mean, you could. I just don't think it's as satisfying as the stakes are significantly higher. If you can make a change to time and history, that is, that could be devastating. It could be worse than the disaster you're trying to save. 
They discuss the stakes of this particular series. Well, the stakes are the lives. There's two aspects. There's emotional stakes. Uh, for one, the, the main character, his mission is out to save the lives of 7 billion people. Uh, this, stop this plague. But what you'll quickly realize by episodes one and two is that uh, in order to survive in this apocalypse, he was sort of an orphan in the apocalypse when it, went, when it happened. He had to do these, these horrible things to survive. Uh, and he's really about, it's really about saving himself. If he changes history, if he changes time, he'll have undone, undone roughly 30 years of yeah. pretty horrible living. And because you can change time, um, the question we're going to ask is, uh, it doesn't mean you should. Right. Um, and seven billion people died, but for everybody in 2043, which is our future, that's history to them. You know, just like six million or 12 million people died in, in World War II, that's our history. It doesn't mean we should go back and change it and erase the entire baby boomer generation. Yeah, it's very likely. Which is what you would do. I mean, not, none of us would be here right now if you did that. Yeah. But it would be an absolutely noble thing it's to a, do. Yeah. Saving 12 million people is a noble thing to do. It's a right thing to do. So there's but, a lot of... The, we explore all the consequences and different points of view of time travel in there. Will the series be told in a linear fashion? See, you'll see in the pilot right away that um, you, they we're doing some non-linear stuff. There are people who have met each other in timelines yet that the other person hasn't done because they haven't gone back to meet that person yet. Um, and we do that uh, throughout the first season and we'll continue to do that throughout the series. Uh, I, we just think that audiences are sophisticated and smart enough now they've been raised on back to the future and doctor who and star trek that they can they can take these they can understand uh the the, the fragmented timeline and 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 i think enjoy putting that puzzle together especially for binge watchers binge watchers will love this yeah. because they'll be immediately set up payoffs and it's not just the time travel we're paying with just playing with but i mean creatively we narratively we're doing some difficult stuff so we're not difficult but like ambitious stuff we're trying to tell stories in a way that um you know you're getting cole's backstory so there's flashbacks and you're seeing some alternate paths that maybe you know could or could not be taken and, and things like that so i think it's i think it's pretty ambitious but i think people are going to be drawn into it that's the kind of thing that appeals to me as a storyteller as an audience member and we have a, an incredible cast that can support this. Uh, Aaron Stanford, uh, who we worked with on Nikita, uh, is plays Cole, and he's your non-traditional hero in every way. But the uh, emotion and sort of uh, hurt and pain that he brings into it, and then intensity, and intensity is is phenomenal. And then there's Amanda Schul, who's uh, brilliant uh, as his uh, his confidant. And then we have uh, Emily Hampshire, who's here, who plays the Brad Pitt character, uh, who now has been reinvented to play Jennifer Goines. Uh, and then we were absolutely ecstatic about a German actor, uh, Barbara uh, Sukawa, who uh, from the Fassbender films and Lola has come on and she is, she's the scientist behind the time travel project. And she's sort of like uh, the, the Adama of time travel in our show and she's phenomenal. Stuff. She's phenomenal. And then uh, we have uh, Kirk Aceveda as well has come on the show and I think people are going to be pretty blown away by yeah. him. It's a side of him that, that you haven't seen. Um, that It's a role that he hasn't really played, I think. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's phenomenal. So all of them together, it's it's been a, an it's, amazing it's thing an to watch. It really is. There's more than one time on set where a scene has, has played out and then you just, it's all silent and the crew just goes, wow. 
Cool. A series for binge watchers like me. I love it. My wife will love it, too. We would love to binge watch together. Great cast, too. So when will we see Kirk Acevedo? Episode right at the top of episode two. Right at the top. You'll immediately as come to know who Kirk is. And, we, and now we start well. spending more time in the future yeah. in the second episode. The, the, the pilot is sort of this... Uh, this freight train you know it's like uh, a teaser uh, and then in, by episode two it's like you know, okay now here we go um, so both of those characters play heavily in this yeah will we see the past and the future on the series the answer is stay tuned <laughs> uh, that that is uh, there's lots of uh, twists and turns and zigs and zags coming about all that what you what you will find out at the end of the first season is that the plague and the virus is not the worst thing to happen to humanity something else was wow just dropping that bomb <laughs> without checking with me <laughs> um, it's true it is true the, the 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 plague is just the beginning of the conspiracy now we have to stop on that. To, no, I'm serious. We, okay, can't, okay, we have okay. to stop on that. So cool and almost spoiler. With time travel, there's always continuity issues. The entire writing staff has to work collaboratively because the because of telling those stories out of order and and uh, we need to be in constant communication, like right down to shooting to post production to you have to really be on top of those story points, that continuity. And certain things get we get wrong and we have to fix and you, yeah. you know, making sure it's a tight ship. They discussed the casting of the lead role of Cole. It was very hard to find our our Cole. Um, we we saw a lot of people went down the road with a lot of people and never felt right. And then uh, once Nikita ended, we, we had jumped off the last season of Nikita. Uh, we had, after we had seen, God, I don't know, like three dozen guys, we were on the highway and we were like, what about Aaron? Aaron yeah. Stanford. And we were like, we, we were like, do you think he would do it? Yeah. And we called him and he called us. He's like, do you want me to play this? He's like, I and we're think like, we're yes. meeting for the wrong role. I'm like, no, we did. We want, we want, we do. And he, so he came in and the, the, he read with uh, Amanda Scholl. They, we, he did a screen test. Within 10 seconds, we knew it was right. We looked across the room and we were just like, that's the show. Yeah. They're so good and the chemistry is so great between them. And it, it worked. Uh, it worked. The thing about very lucky. The thing about Aaron that works is so amazingly well is that he's incredibly believable and empathetic. You're always with him, and he just he draws you into the story, and it's 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 you care about what happens to him in, in every moment. It's a it's a great ability that he brings to it. So, what can the audience expect? Uh, I think it's not too spoilery to say that I I can't. I can't think of a season of television that is the puzzle that ours is in which that by episode two you've set up uh, an element that is part of a huge twist in episodes eight and nine and ten. Right. Uh, that the... This is so tricky. This is a very, it's, a very, it's a very tricky question, but I, I, I don't think a, I've seen... I, in my mind, I can't remember a, a season of television... But serialized time travel like this that has yeah that is done but it's very ambitious what we're doing it's a different it, it is a, a a grittier more character based take on some of the things that maybe you know Doctor Who's touched on but Doctor Who's always a procedural and a monster of the week and we're not that so this is a 13 episode tapestry that's one whole story yeah it's a big novel thank, thank you gentlemen so no thanks. thanks guys
Next, who I think could be a breakout actor in this series is Emily Hampshire, who plays Jennifer Goins, playing the female version of Brad Pitt's character in the original film. She was told that none of us had seen the pilot and how her character fits into the universe of 12 Monkeys. Okay, well that's that's okay that you haven't seen the pilot with my character because I'm just in the end of the pilot. <laughs> so, um, basically, I, I am playing the Brad Pitt role from the movie. Um, so if you've seen 12 Monkeys, uh, he plays Jeffrey Goins. I'm Jennifer Goins. They've changed it to a woman. I am a... I think I'm... The, I'm she's the wild card of the show that is... Um, uh, mentally, uh, in a, she meets Cole in a mental institution, um, and you don't know whether she is necessarily part of the conspiracy that's with the twelve monkeys that's going to end the world, or if she's a victim of it. It's because she's crazy, um, and I don't know if you've ever dealt with a crazy person. It's very difficult to know what's going on. Um, and, and that's where we began the introduction of my character. Now, how did you approach her? I mean, I guess probably the safe thing is not to watch the Brad Pitt <laughs> performance and kind, right? of, and kind of just, you know, use your own instincts and talent and kind of interpret her your own. Well, I wish, so I wish I would have spoken to you before <laughs> because, but what happened, thankfully, in retrospect, was normally I'm very, like, researchy and I want to see everything beforehand but uh, before my audition but it was a time factor I was it, I had very little time to prepare for this thing and so I made a choice to dedicate myself to reading the script and working on the character from there before seeing the movie I did eventually see the movie but um, so I really got to approach it from the TV show first and then when I watched the movie that like it's interesting that as opposed to being influenced by the movie for the TV show I was influenced by the TV show script for the movie so Jennifer Goins was my first introduction to a Goins um, and when I saw Brad Pitt's performance I'm like and then especially when the press went out that oh she's playing the Brad Pitt part I'm like I am because <laughs> I and then I understood why everybody's like oh you're playing the Brad are you going to do this are you going to do that I'm like oh, I'm not doing that but I think it was a blessing like and in retrospect like such a great thing and I think they've at least told me that part of the reason that I got the role was that I brought my own thing to it I felt really connected to Jennifer um, and um, and I think it had I seen the movie first I might have been intimidated and felt like this pressure that wouldn't let my own creativity come out but now I see it like like okay you know like theater when people people do a Vita on Broadway people aren't like oh she's playing the Patty Lapone part. You're like you're playing. You have to rise to the occasion of playing Ava Perone, and that's how I feel with Jennifer Goins. Is like I have to rise to the occasion of playing this incredible character, and I think people forget that before, when Brad Pitt did this movie, he wasn't Brad famous, famous Brad Pitt. He was like his stuff came out thankfully like right around that time, so it all was great for the movie. But like he wanted that part, so I really think Jeffrey Goins and Jennifer Goins and this character is the thing that's like spectacular not to take away anything from his performance is obviously amazing so look for her as we learned at the end of episode one but she is full-on in episode two well the second episode is 
kind of the introduction of Jennifer Goins, and um, it's definitely my breakout episode. Um, and then episode four really is like the game changer episode. It's where we, all, all the characters kind of converge in this place called the Night Room, which is pretty central to the mythology of the show. Um, it's uh, my um, my father, Leland, well, Jennifer's father, my father, but Jennifer Goins' father, Leland Goins, is like off-site lab. And I don't know if I'm saying bad things now. I don't know if I'm saying too much, but it's called the Night Room. I'm allowed to say that. Um, it's just, I I am constantly fascinated with where my character's going, and I, I think it's because she's so unpredictable that the writers have really taken it to... You can see Je Jennifer be... Sane sometimes, and, like, not... And that's at least when I read it the first time, as opposed to... I guess Brad Pitt's mannerisms and takes what I before seeing that what I took from it was somebody who like is she crazy or is she the smartest person in the room is she part of this or is she like being victimized by it um so I felt like there was much more psychological ticks and switches than behavioral um yeah, so I think she can kind of go anywhere, which is super fun. Yeah, hopefully to the future. <laughs> Since there is time travel, will we see prior versions of Jennifer? <laughs> I really don't think I'm allowed to say that. Gotcha, gotcha. I don't think, but it's, I'm like really excited because mm -hmm. if I'm being, it's probably wrong, Brad, to be honest, in, but like I was never into time travel stuff it wasn't my thing but now I'm reading these scripts and I feel like they have got me into it via character like via via Cole and Rayleigh's relationship and this like that you want them to get together but they're in different places and they get go to the past to get together and like that's how I can now connect to time travel um so yeah I think I think you're just going to be really surprised with where Jennifer gets. One reporter questioned her again on this point and asked her to answer it as a hypothetical question and not necessarily something we'd see in the series. It would present challenges in in a way that like one a, an actress would want to be challenged. Um, it uh, yeah it's like the dream. It's kind of like when you look at like Orphan Black to play all those characters like as an actor you rarely get to like I, I see um, uh, people on our show who go like back in time like doing the aging stuff and do and then doing younger and that's like you get to play a whole life. You rarely get to do that. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I actually spoke to, they let me speak to this psychiatrist before um, I did the show who works with people like Jennifer and Jeffrey Goins. Um, and he said this really interesting thing to me that psychotic people, more so than regular people, um, because they don't have the inhibitions of social decorum and all those things that they can really see to the truth of things and in a way that most people don't so I, I feel like Jennifer and and Jennifer Goins really there there's somebody she has all the secrets locked in her head 
and so if there's anybody who knows what's going on it's definitely Jennifer and but you're gonna have to get in there to get it so mm-hmm. it sounds like the advantage you have over Brad Pitt is that you have a longer time to tell the story yeah well I think that's the advantage the show has over the movie is that you get to go into backstory you get to like really flesh out these lives and um, you can go anywhere with it yeah whole life more time travel with 12 monkeys on rewind on sci-fi talk in a moment she did do some research for her role of Jennifer. I, I saw a psychiatrist um, right at the beginning when I read episode two. Um, and we just went through um, what someone like Jennifer would really be like. I think especially for Terry and Travis and Natalie, they wanted to write something pretty authentic to at least get a grasp on what this kind of mental illness might be if there is really mental illness going on and um and so we had that discussion but at that point i i wasn't getting into any time travel stuff because i was in a mental hospital um so yeah but um the series is definitely always every episode I read I am like oh that's a new acting challenge that's yeah so it's pretty amazing so what did her friends say when she got the part okay honestly honestly this is really I feel like this is a bad sign so I went into wardrobe for um for my first wardrobe session I was just being myself like totally I'm not I'm not like in character or anything and the wardrobe woman said to Terry she's like she's perfect and then my friends on Facebook when I was like oh I'm I got the, like, Brad Pitt part and the whatever. I'm playing Jennifer Goins. They're all like, that's the best casting ever. That's And so now I'm starting to think that might be an insult to me. Like, I don't know. So everybody seems to think that I am perfect for this part. I feel like, you know, I feel like the part is perfect. is the most amazing gift of a role. Um, but, yeah, I just I guess I didn't think I'm crazy but other people seem to think so so (laughs) yeah someone remarked if she had met brad pitt no i haven't but what's really weird is that i'm shooting this other movie right now in winnipeg and supposedly he's shooting there so i'm like think we should get together yeah because i'm sure he kind of like knows that the show is that somebody's playing that. I think that part was pretty important to him. Um, definitely a game changer in his career. And that prompted an answer from another reporter that you don't want that kind of thing in your headspace. No, well, that's why I think it was so good for me not to have seen the movie first because it, after when the press came out and stuff, it did get a bit in my headspace of like, oh, I, I didn't even think of this that everybody and now like so are you gonna do the like this and are you doing that and um i'm like i'm I'm not guys so i feel like there will there will be probably critique on that there's definitely people are gonna have opinions and i i just hope that yeah (laughs) yeah so what is your take on crazy is that i think we're all kind of crazy and i think there's a spectrum and i think that to me, the crazy people are the ones who really know the truth about things, and and at least I, in like personally, I sometimes would trust a crazy person more than 
a real slick, manipulative kind of person. I don't know. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. I really think with her kinetic energy, Emily could be one of the actors to watch on this show and possibly could be the Robin Lord Taylor of 12 Monkeys, uh, the breakout star of Gotham, of course. So uh, we'll see. Next is showrunner Natalie Chaidez, who worked on a new version of V, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and the first season of Heroes. We very quickly dove into our own world after the pilot. And, um, you know, one of the pleasures of being able to do a series as opposed to a movie is you have time. I mean, you have the ability to go places that the movie did not have time to go. So when you watch the original movie and you see Bruce Willis's world and you're like, wow, that looks really cool, like that prison and stuff, we as a series are able to open that up and visit those places. And so we very, very quickly left behind, you know, servicing. And I don't think, I mean, Terry Travis, who wrote the pilot, um, you know, wrote the pilot not, it wasn't a 12 Monkeys adaptation when they wrote it. It was sort of retrofitted into that. Um, so I think we, you know, very quickly have moved moved beyond that and in, in, in a good way and into a lot of exciting places that the movie just doesn't have time to take in. What about the exploration of sanity like the movie? And she comments on who could be our tour guide and Jennifer Goins, played by Emily Hampshire. Uh, so she's our wild card and she's de definitely um, an exploration insanity and you know is she a genius is she crazy is she crazy like a fox uh, is she good is she bad is she one of the monkeys is she uh, gonna you know help with the plague stop the plague I mean so her character is really the part of the show and that we get to explore those same issues but yeah with the Cole slash you know Bruce Willis character um, we pretty much quickly move past that and he is dealing with ideas of redemption and uh, trying to make up for the things that he did in the period between when the plague struck and we meet him in 24, uh, future in 2043. She talks about navigating through the waters of time travel. Um, I have I have uh, refereed many a time travel fight between <laughs> Terry and Travis. You know, I tried a gin, you know, whatever it is. Um, so we we work very very hard to keep our show consistent. We have an enormous timeline, an actual written timeline that we keep on the wall. Mm -hmm. That production has, that our writers assistant has, that you know everyone's continually checking. If he has a scar here, will he have it in 2015? Mm -hmm. So we're um, quite cognizant of the and we're also you know, have an awareness of what's come before us in terms of time travel storytelling. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, we very clearly depart from the movie quickly. You know, the 12 Monkeys movie was you cannot change time. Right. Fate is fate. In our pilot, we say very clearly, change the past, the future changes as well. You know, I don't, I don't know if you guys saw the pilot. You scratch the watch, watch scratches. Um, the cool thing about our show is that we're discovering those time travel rules as we go along the series. Our characters are uh, as they're moving through. In the pilot there, you know, Cole has a theory. His theory is, if I shoot Leland Goins, if I shoot the villain, uh, I will stop the plague. It's like, if I could go back and shoot Hitler, I would stop World War II. Is that proven true? No. He goes back and shoots him, and he's still there. So, we have to regroup as characters and say, what now? What we thought about time travel isn't true, because it's the first time they have a time machine. Nobody knows how it works. So, I think it's really exciting that we're discovering that, we the audience, Hopefully not we the writers. But the audience is discovering that along with the characters, um, the rules of time travel. We have an idea, we, ha we the writers do have an idea of where we want it ultimately to go time travel-wise, but we really want it to be uh, 
a journey. Mm-hmm. So. And here she talks about location shooting in Detroit, Michigan. We shot in Detroit, um, you know, which uh, for those of you guys who haven't visited, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of dilapidated buildings, abandoned buildings, and indeed feels very post-apocalyptic part of it, um, which is really sad for the city, but really great for production design. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it gave us a look, it gave us a feel, um, because we, you know, the, the parts of our show that are set in the future are a world in which, you know, 7 billion people have died, in which 98% of the population is gone. And when you're in Detroit and you see the grandeur of the architecture and no one in it, it really gave, gives you an achy, haunting feeling. Um, you know, some of it which made on the, made it on screen, some of it which was left on the floor. But I think the whole experience of shooting there and to put immerse ourselves in locations that, that feel post-apocalyptic contributed greatly. Yeah. You have 13 episodes. Is it a self-contained season or does it kind of end with a little bit of an opening to a possible season two? Uh, well, guys and I are breaking the finale as we speak. Um, so we are definitely launching a really kick-ass second season um, and arguing amongst ourselves about exactly which scene is going to do that. Um, so yes, it's serialized, but it, is it going to be stopping the plague every season for seven years? I don't think so. Are we opening up the show to other uh, mythologies, a bigger mythology for the 12 monkeys? Have the 12 monkeys only existed in 2015 or 2043? Probably not. So we're definitely going to open up the show um, in a bigger way after season one, after our first Thursday. There's even a crew shooting overseas for the series. So right now we have a, uh, a unit on the ground in Macedonia. We're shooting overseas footage. Um, and indeed, there was an Ebola outbreak in Macedonia while we were shooting. And the irony, I don't know, the opposite of kismet, whatever that is, is that our, our art department was putting up posters that said quarantine while they were really putting up quarantine stuff. Um, you know... Uh, I don't. I, it's it's an awful, obviously an awful and horrible, you know, thing that's happening. I do think creatively, it 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 just poses an interesting question for the show of if can humanity get a hold of that? Will we be able to? Will it get to that point? So it makes the dramatic concerns for our show, uh, you know, unfortunately, all the more real. She discusses the planning of the first season. Absolutely have to have temples. I've, um, you know, been on some great serialized shows. I did the first season of Heroes. I, I did Sarah Connor. I did the. You absolutely have to have temples and know where you're going. With that said, you also have to be flexible to go where a great, a great someone you cast. They're fantastic, and you say, I want to see more of that character. So, while you're heading to the temple, you got to be ready to like snake around and lean into whatever comes along, uh, and you have to be ready to pull up tents. What you can't, what you can't do and where sometimes we get in trouble as storytellers is to go for a quick, cool plot move that you haven't thought out through and screws you down the line. So a lot of show, a lot of serialized shows, that's how they get. That's I've done it myself. You get in trouble and you fall in love with a cool scene or a super cool idea. Uh, but if it takes you off track from the general direction of where your show's headed, uh, yeah, and an, and an audience feels it. And you, an audience feels it and you know the next 
morning by the boards where where you where they were like what the fuck what's that you know and sometimes sometimes you win I only did the first season but um, sometimes you can sometimes you can win them back and uh, and show look we did know what we were doing you're in good safe hands this is why we did that turn sometimes it takes a while sometimes you never get them back so um, you do have to be really really careful in serialized storytelling here she talks about getting a series like this off the ground and of course it's easier by using a property like this that's based on a movie I mean I think some of it is just marketplace reality and the ease of making a sale off a big title I mean just just most bra- most bra- brashly and crudely it's like it's easier to walk into a room and say Westworld as opposed to me saying so it's this world and there's robots like I'm a- you've already got a known uh, you know a known property that you're trying to sell um, secondly I think it's a little bit of the balance balance shift of power between TV and film business right now in that um, you know a lot of great creative people are wanting to work in television because you get to be an auteur because you get to spend more time with your characters because you know an actor like a true a Woody Harrelson gets to dig in over six months and the pleasure of having that experience to get to spend with those characters and those stories um, so I think part of the shift in drawing feature people feature titles to television um, is a little bit is a little bit of the joy of discovery for you know the Hollywood community of the pleasures of of television storytelling, um, which wasn't always the case. When I started in the business, it was a little bit like you're a TV writer, and then there's feature writers. But the, those two have really, you know, come together and even tilted towards feature people jumping, jumping into, te- wanting to jump into television. She tells us what this series has to offer. Okay, so this is the best time travel series in the history of television. It's, we, it's, it's done. Like this. Um, we're handling it in a, a way that audiences are finally ready for. I think there's enough savvy time travel viewers that can follow the stuff, even the stuff that was said in, in the pilot about paradoxes and, you know, raising questions about time loops and stuff like that. I think we finally, the audience has, you know, become prepared for a series that, that doesn't talk down to it about time travel and, um, you know, been prepared by great shows like Lost and, you know, who did time travel season and stuff like that. So uh, I think we have to offer that. I think we have to offer a great, epic, emotional journey. And just the the fluidity and the ability to jump from time period to time period and follow the relationship of two people as they try to fight this epic battle together. So um, all that. And we got a cool time machine. Really cool time machine. She was very pleased with Sci-Fi's involvement and talks about how the audience now assimilates content and watches programs. Okay, first of all, Sci-Fi has been amazing in their support. Uh, I mean, they've let us do what we want. They they have not uh, challenged us at all in how challenging our storytelling yeah. is and ambitious our storytelling and jumping from period to period. So, and I think they really are trying to return to just great classic science fiction mm-hmm. with the Childhood End, with Twelve Monkeys. So they've been great creative partners. Um, in terms of serialized storytelling, I think the pendulum has swung back the other way because of binge watching. Mm-hmm. Because all of us will sit down and watch, you know. 
six episodes of Fargo at a time. The way we watch is different, so the way that they buy and that the way that they know people are watching is different. So even a few years ago where the mandate was uh, standalone episodes, which is, you know, an episode that can just be watched unconnected, now they're much, the buyers in marketplace networks are much more okay with shows that are completely serialized because I think the audience really dig that level of engagement. I mean, they like it, that's just the way that we're watching television. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. That's cool you're approaching it that way because and you're aware of what the audience does because that's very important. Right? I mean, that's how we watch it. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it was great meeting thank you guys. You. Thank, thank you. you. And now for you premium subscribers, you get a little bonus material on this particular podcast. You've heard the special that ran on my regular podcast, but just for you, you get the phone conversation I did during a phone press conference with Aaron Stanford, who is Cole, and Amanda Schull, who is Dr. Cassandra Riley. So for the only way you can get both of those things together is on this particular premium version. Otherwise, you'd have to download the Time Capsule episode in addition to the 12 Monkeys special and listen Listen to it, and you'd have to listen to that at the end of the show. And here you get both in one uh, thing, and there could also be some bonus material added a little later on as well, but I'm not saying anything yet. So now let's go to Aaron and Amanda talking about 12 Monkeys with me. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, it's great to talk to you again. I met both of you at the uh, sci-fi party in here in New York City, and that was a lot of fun, and had a chance to talk to both of you for a little while, so it's great, and I'm really excited. I saw the first uh, nine minutes of it, and I'm hooked. Um, (laughs) Right off the bat, I would say what's really cool is the chemistry between you two, which is so important in a series like this. And if people had a magic formula, had a bottle, something like that, they'd have it. But uh, it's kind of talk about how you kind of developed working with each other a little bit. Um, I just, I liked Cole's, the, the way you brought intensity to Cole and Amanda just, you know, she she wants to like uh, set up all these things to deal with pandemics, and and here's this guy telling her what's happening, what happened in the future. So it's like it, it was almost like a fake kind of thing for them too, more than anything else. But uh, just talk about your chemistry and kind of get uh, setting that up together and working together that way. Well, Amanda couldn't stand me at first, <laughs> um, <laughs> despised me in fact, and it was a long period of having to win her over. That sort of bled over into our into our characters. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I I, I think um, you know it, it it gradually developed for me also. Um, you know, over over time, over you know, we we never. It's not like a film where you you read the script and you know what the story is from beginning to end because you have the whole script right in front of you. you right. Know, we, we don't really know the the whole story um, at the at the jump. You know, you're you're watching things, the relationships sort of unfold in, in real time from from my perspective anyway. And like you said, you know, they were they're they're thrown together uh, by fate. They they don't really have much choice in the matter, and they're very very different people. They're they're absolute opposites, but they're thrown together. And I think that through this you know, the, the crucible of um, of what they have to do, you know, this very, very difficult mission. Yeah. They, uh, they form a bond. I could add to that. So, I mean, working with Aaron just from a personal level, not just, you know, from the character level, he shows up to set very prepared and he does, gives you 110% for 
for every single scene, for every single take. And so I think that helps with just our onset chemistry, which hopefully translates to the um, on-camera chemistry, that it's, it's nice working with someone who gives you as much as you give them and you can have an equal relationship. And, mm. and that has allowed us to be honest with the material because we both invest completely into each character. Ditto. <laughs> I think what's, uh, what's, what, <laughs> what's really neat too is, you know, the way they kind of perceive each other is, you know, from, from, uh, from your advantage, uh, Amanda, is this guy a psycho? Is he stalking me? Uh, and, uh, and then you're trying to, as Cole, you're trying to convince her, uh, that you're, that you're from the future and you have all these details about her. If you can both kind of speak to that, that line that you, that you have, you know, is it, is he crazy? Is he not crazy? And, but yet he sees, he says some things that are believable and plausible. So kind of talk about playing that aspect of the relationship. Yeah. I mean, for, from, from my perspective, you have something that you know to be the truth. You know that it's fact, but to everyone else, it, it seems com- completely impossible. It seems like it couldn't, it could not possibly be true. So it's a very frustrating situation to be put in. It's a pretty tall order to, to get someone to believe something that is impossible. So, you know, what he ends up having to do in that scene, you know, he gives her bits of information here and there that they start, they start to sway her a little bit, but, you know, eventually he realizes the only way to prove <clears throat> to pr- someone that the impossible is true really show them something happen right in front of their eyes. And that, that's what he ends up having to do. Well, from my perspective, I think um, for Dr. Rayleigh, it's exactly what Aaron just said, that it was really just the, the proof is, is not anything that he could possibly say. It's something that she sees with her own eyes. She trusts herself. She doesn't trust this man in front of her. So she trusts what she sees, and she knows that to be true, which is what sort of allows her to go on this ridiculous journey with him because she knows what she saw and she knows her own intelligence. Otherwise, um, nothing he said would matter. Cool. I, I think it's going to be a relationship that's going to be a lot of fun to see un- unfold as the series goes on, and, and you guys are obviously bringing your A-game to it, so I can't really wait to see what happens. Thanks oh, a lot. Thank you so much, That's so kind of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. 12 Monkeys is available on Hulu and on YouTube, Google Play, and Apple TV to rent. Customizable podcast playlist, exclusive videos, special episodes like the, the listener selected, the Mix 100, all of this and more at Sci-Fi Talk Plus. Now with 1,000 episodes uncut, commercial-free, and a special offer for free lifetime access, now available for a limited time. Click on the link in the show notes. No anonymous signups, please. Thanks for listening. This is Tony Tolado. Until the next episode of Rewind.